Hey, y'all. It's uh, LJ. It's another late, early day for me. I don't know. It's two in the morning here. Kansas City. And as I'm being true to myself and what I want to bring to this podcast and this world and myself and my own healing, I have to talk about some stuff tonight. (laughs) And it's some big stuff yet again, but you know, we'll laugh, we'll cry, and we will sit through, as I like to say, the muck and mire as we grow into beautiful lotuses towards the warm sun. I'm going to talk a lot tonight, and there are trigger warnings again, abuse, uh, physical, uh, emotional, yeah, like just all of the abuse (laughs) Um, in my personal life and beyond. So um, I'm going to start. Um, by just reading uh, one of my favorite uh, decks, which is Wisdom of the Shadow, the Oracle for Self-Discovery, Soul Work, and Transformation. Today, the card that I pulled was Change. And it has beautiful imagery of this fiery sun, all these reds. It looks like it's overflowing, like almost like volcanic rock just spilling over. And these beautiful, like, blue images coming in from the side and and this, like, just delightful little presence at the bottom. And it's beautiful. I embrace change as opportunity. I welcome the mystery and change with the tide portal of uncertainty entering into the unknown, seeing the mystery head first into the sun, ripples and swirls, spinning, beckoning, shifting, changing, unyielding, lava, water, and where they meet, flowing with it, allowing it to be. Change challenges us to consider our attachments, control, desire, fear, uncertainty, confusion, curiosity, responsibility, and resilience. Life is consistently changing, moving, and flowing around us in both expected and unexpected ways. Sometimes we can have a strong desire to keep things as they are just because we fear the unknown or what may come. Change brings new life, new possibilities, and new openings. So how do we change? Are we so set in our ways and our comfort our discomfort, our stubbornness, and what we already know that we aren't willing to grow, to be wrong, to make mistakes, to be human, to learn and meet change 
head on? Are we so mutable, ever-changing, flowing, shifting that we forget to take root and allow ourselves stability? When life changes within us or around us, we have an opportunity to adapt and lean into our resilience or an opportunity to collapse into the crippling attachment to what we desire something to be. We can resist change or meet it and flow. Change is the only constant. And yet, there is part of you that is steady and present through every change. Consider holding an essence of curiosity and sinking into the mystery. Think about ways you've adapted to change in the past. In this book, The Wisdom of the Shadow, there's, there's two other parts. There's a contemplation part and a ritual part. And I did both of these today. And I'd like to share them with you before I get started. Uh, I'm going to take a drink of my water. <clears throat> it's in a blue cup tonight, a ball jar with a blue straw. And I love it. It says, actually, it says, perfect mason on it. <laughs> perfect mason ball jars, you know. <laughs> so the contemplation part, and I ask these my questions to myself today. And I ask my listeners to, one, support me, please. Donate to my GoFundMe. Tip me on Venmo. Like, share, rate, review. Send me love and prayers. But today, I, I did these, and I, I want, hope you all will take something from, one, me sharing this whole episode with you. Um, there'll be another long one. Um, and also, just take a moment and contemplate these, and, and maybe do this ritual for yourself. So the contemplation questions are, what am I afraid of that keeps me from welcoming change? What changes have I held myself back from making? And what changes can I embrace as new opportunities? The ritual. And as I talked about, I believe last night about how herbs and herbs are, are powerful and strong and, and because of their history and, and, you know, the intention we put within them and how we use them through ritual. I did this today. Boil water and gather herbs for a tea slash infusion. Use a tea maybe you already have, um, which I did. Or select herbs tea that just feel right for you. Pour water into your mug with the herb slash tea. And watch the way that the herbs and water meet changing into a tea. While waiting for your tea to seep steep, consider any attachments you are holding for yourself or a situation. Notice how you feel about the possibility of change. When you are ready, hold your cup and breathe an intention into your heart. 
around resilience or adapting to change. Blow your intention into your tea. Drink and invite the tea to offer you deep medicine for change. So tonight, I'm going to talk about my mama, my adoptive mom who raised me. Her name was Vicki Sue, V-I-K-I, Victoria. Oh, what a beautiful name, right? Victoria. Victory. Love. And I'm going to start with just a few fun stories that I jotted down that just like remind me of her because there's a lot I'm going to talk about abuse that I received both from her and from my step. And I I like to, to quote him or see his, his stepdad this way, step dash. And then in parentheses, uh, quotes, if you will, dad, because this man was not a father to me, a dad to me or a partner to my mother. He's fucking awful. So this is where I insert them trigger warnings again, not just for you all, but for me, because I want to stay again in my window of tolerance as I do this. So my mommy was (laughs) beautiful and she smelled, always smelled so good. I can remember, I can smell her perfume right now. In fact, I have, um, jewelry that I want to get. Uh, where are those rings? I bet I know where those are. I just, yeah, I know where they are. I have these rings that I've had since she died in 2004. It's 2023 now. And I just now am able to put them on my fingers and they're, they're too big for me. So I'm going to get them sized. But I have those and I have uh, a necklace of hers. It's a heart. I keep it on my altar. And I can smell her perfume. Oof, goodness. She was so loving, you all. She tried so hard. And she loved me more than anything. And for that, I'm so, I just know that. She always said I was her angel. Um, saying I was an angel just in general, like for the world, but her angel indeed. She told me, and this was her story, but I have a picture of me playing the piano with her. It was a upright piano. Talked about pianos last, last episode too, but this upright piano and it was old and beat up and used, right? So it had power in it. And there's this picture of me sitting there with her and she's, she's playing, but I'm playing too. And, and, and you could, I'm probably, I mean, I'm maybe three at the most. Look, I was bald. (laughs) Okay. Like bald, bald, bald. When I was born, like no hair, didn't have hair till I was three. So I was probably about three at this point. Uh, in fact, my mom was like, I'm afraid she's got like, (laughs) everyone's voice is like that. (laughs) I'm afraid she has like, you know, like, like hair cancer or something. Cause it's not, you know, she was real scared. You know, she was helicopter mom because see, she couldn't have kids. Um, and so my daddy and her adopted me, you know, and, uh, 
but yeah, this picture of me playing the piano with her and I'm playing it too. And she told me that I knew how to play the piano already. I knew how to play better than her, that I already knew the songs that we played, you know, heart and soul. And what else do we play? The chopsticks, you know, that one's a real easy one. You just roll your, <laughs> your fist on there, but we played my favorite things from the sound of music. We played Moonlight Sonata. We played Where Have All the Flowers Gone? What song is that? Those are the three that I really remember. And she told me that I, I already knew how to play the piano, which as I'm connecting with my psychic abilities, my intuition, my love, I'm seeing that, you know, like, that that's true, that babies sometimes we're, we're the closest to our last incantation and, and we, we remember a lot of times. Now hold space for that and if that triggers you, ask you why, but that's the truth. I knew how to play those songs. My mama told me that. And she don't lie. She never lied to me. Not about shit like that. Speaking of, Talk about fucking funny. Okay, where did I get that? My mama, Vicky, Victoria, I got that from her. She was so snarky <laughs> and so funny. In fact, she used to work, I just remember this, she used to work at HUD. Was that the, like the housing, can't remember what it stands for, but it helped, you know, poor people get into homes that they could afford, affordable housing. Yeah, 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 yeah. She had a best friend. So I'm still friends with her. Her name's Karen. She's, my mom was a good one. Really good, really funny. <laughs> I have lots of those stories. But one thing we did talk about was reincarnation, <laughs> actually. And I remember she drove me to church, um, the same church where I was groomed uh, sexually. Um, but she drove me there and I had really good memories there too, right? It was not just, the shit that I talked about last time. There was Veggie Tales. Do y'all remember Veggie Tales? <laughs> oh, where is my hairbrush? <laughs> oh, where is my hairbrush? <laughs> oh, where, 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 my friends, my, my boyfriends there, all the, all the good kids who were, who are my group, Chris, Josh, Chris, there are a lot of Chris's. <laughs> Let alone my girlfriends there, which I, I won't go into. What was I saying? Right. So <laughs> mama would drive me to church and, and wait for me, pick me up. And, and then when I, left her and moved in with my dad and stepmom who I talked about last episode they would drive me to and from church and they'd sit outside and they'd wait they'd be so patient they didn't come in but they they made sure I got there and one day my mom was driving me and this was a hard day I remember um for her and I'm so empathetic and intuitive. I, I just knew that even if she didn't tell me that. 
And we were, I was trying to get her to laugh. And so we were talking, okay, well, you know, if we come back next left time, what do you want to be? Who do you want to be? And she, or <laughs> LJ. Who do you want to be, LJ? And I said, well, Mama, I want to come back and I'm going to be a windshield wiper. <laughs> that way I can be in the rain and be cleansed and be fresh and, and also help keep the windshield clean, <laughs> you know? You see, my mom died a really sad, tragic way. I believe my mom died because of pain and trauma. And it manifested not only in her body, in her mind, in her soul. For all intents and purposes, she got an infection in her leg because she had untreated XYZ, diabetes, like just a lot. She was morbidly obese and she went into the hospital um, for this infection that presented itself like flu symptoms, like stomach flu symptoms. And she was in the hospital for quite some time, a couple weeks at least, maybe longer. Take a drink of water. And like I said in the last episode, and I'll get into some of this in the next part of this episode, we are poor and we didn't have health insurance and so she went into a hospital that is fine right but the hospital didn't have enough room for her and so and she was on medicare and um so they sent her home when she wasn't better but they couldn't figure out what was wrong with her i mean they knew what was wrong right they were just her body wasn't responding to the treatments, to this infection, to the systematic infection that she had. In fact, my grandpa died of gangrene, and this really reminded me of a similar experience. And so they, they, how I remember it is they ran out of beds, and they needed to send her off on back home to her muck and mire though she had a love of her life at that time, his name was Scott and he was the sweetest man. And I'm so glad that she was able to find a second love of her life. Cause my daddy was her first one. Then my step dash dad was uh, in the, her life. And then Scott was there for her at the end and made her happy. Even though it was tragic, their apartment was disgusting and, in fact, she lived on Scott Avenue. That's right. And and she was with Scott. Anyway, um, so they sent her home. 
And my mom... kept getting sicker and sicker and didn't want to bother her primary care doctor the, or the maybe the doctor who was seeing her at the hospital or couldn't get a hold of them or, you know, do the details matter at this point? I'm not sure. But she um, wouldn't call to get help. That was a kind of a theme in my family. In fact, my grandma, Georgia, Georgie, Barfoot, <laughs> uh, had breast cancer. In fact, it was so bad, the tumor was like hot and like pulsating through her skin before she went to the doctor. So this was a common thing in our family. Death is a common thing. Like almost all of them are dead. My cousin Amy, my, my aunt Nikki, you know, Scotty, whatever his name is now. <laughs> XYZ y'all. But that's about it that's left, you know, because everyone else died and all too soon. So yeah, so mom waited too long to call and she left a message finally with the doctor, whoever it was. And they didn't get back to her. And instead of, because the hospital had sent her home, you know, she'd already been discarded. <laughs> she threw up and she aspirated. She choked on her own vomit and died in her bathroom. Before the paramedics even got there. And this happened on Black Friday. <laughs> and LJ, I say that loudly again, LJ didn't go visit her on Thanksgiving. In fact, I don't think LJ went anywhere on that Thanksgiving, even though she was in a relationship, and I think I stayed home that Thanksgiving. And I used to, I, I work daily to not beat myself up about that. That is something that is shadow, that is really difficult to release. And I sit through it. I sat through it. Today, my ex happened to leave me on Black Friday, too, which was just, you know. <laughs> huh. I remember I actually was living at the funeral home Heartland that I worked for at the time. Just, just got married, actually. And I remember getting that death call. Now, not as a funeral director, which I was, but as a family member from the hospital. And I, I think I maybe even called Uncle Mike that day who did our body removals. Can't quite remember them details. 
But I do remember is going into my closet before I knew they, they, you know, they said, oh, she, you know, is going back to the hospital. You know, they didn't say she was dead actually at the time, even though she was. I remember going into my closet <laughs> and this apartment was so cute. The funeral home. I mean, it was just, I made it so cute. We painted it and it was delightful. And I had a, we had like a bathtub way back in, in, in our bedroom. And, and then you'd walk up and there was a vanity and then you walked over and there was like a big walk-in, well, a big closet. I remember opening that closet and everything's meticulously hung up. I, you know, I usually do by color so you can find it quickly. Right. I really take pride in my appearance. And anyway, I remember opening the closet and being like, I'm just going to pick this cozy sweater. <laughs> and this is what this is. This is this is the sweater I'm going to wear when my mom's dead. I, you know, however, I thought that I can visualize again I don't visualize a lot that sweater I put it on and my ex and I you know got in our car and he was really good that day too and I remember stopping down Blue Ridge Boulevard right town before we get over to Independence and we had to pull over <laughs> and both of us just fucking bawled <laughs> Then get back in our car. And I don't remember if I had the Beetle yet. Probably not. Actually, I don't think so. And get back in the car and we drive to the hospital. And as these things go, you sit in a room. I don't know if y'all have ever lost someone. I've lost too many people. But you sit in a little room and you wait for the doctor to come in. And unfortunately, the doctor was stressed and said some things that were harmful, like, well, this wasn't the outcome we'd hoped for. <laughs> Literally, those words ring in my mind. We hold space again for doctors who are stressed and overworked, and they do the best they can, just like we all do. But fuck that. <laughs> when we sat there, and, you know, it's... My family and were like, you know, you need to go, you, you want to go say goodbye. And, you know, I was like, yeah. So I go into the emergency department and, you know, there's, they have her body there and you go behind a curtain and, you know, they sh reminds me a little Miss Sunshine. Have you guys seen that movie? It's one of my favorites. <laughs> and there's a death scene in it that I <laughs> really, uh, really hit me. But anyway, you go in and they close the curtain and my ex is there with me and, you know, I'm sitting there and, and I look at my mom and I literally, all I can say to her is my poor mama. And I touch her hand and I look to my ex and I said, I'm done. And he was like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And, uh, even the doctor, the nurse, I think it was a nurse, love nurses. Let's love, love your nurses. Like y'all, like, I mean it. They are the heartbeat. They, they're top notch. And you know, they're like, are you sure? And I'm like, LJ, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure. And I turned left and 
this is where you go. Grief is, is a weird thing, you know, because some people, you know, I bawled before. I didn't cry then. I'm a funeral director, so I go back and I just go to work mode. Fair enough, right, y'all? <clears throat> In fact, <laughs> you want to know what I did? I typed my mom's death certificate and got it certified when it was time. I typed her funeral program. I found her death certificate, but I misplaced her funeral program. I have it here. And you want to know, okay, so I'm going <laughs> to shout out some Heartland folks. <laughs> First of all, I'd just like to say I have no favorites, but I do. <laughs> and my favorite person at that funeral home is Dick. <laughs> my friend Dick. Man, we used to we used to have so much fun when we when we hosted cer ceremony services at the funeral home or we'd go to churches, we'd go I don't think we ever had a service in a home, but that would be cool too, right? <laughs> Dick and I would just, we would pair up a lot and we'd work together a lot. And uh, they would always have two on a service, you know, and uh, <laughs> we laughed so much. You have to laugh at that in that work. You got to laugh. You got to make fun of stuff. In love, of course, and respect, all respect, always, always care. But you laugh a lot. <laughs> and we laughed a lot. I, I remember making coffee, and I think this is actually Andrew, but one day we made our coffee similar. We pour creamer in, and actually Dick probably took it this way too without sugar, but I always put sugar in mine. <laughs> and one day we flip-flopped our cups, and they spit it out and they're like, this is way too sweet. <laughs> I'm like, ew, this is gross. You know, it's too, too bitter. Dick and I had a song. It was uh, on Eagle's Wings. <laughs> we had canned music that we'd play at services that helped folks. It was an old jukebox looking like thing. And it was back in 2004, <laughs> before that and after. But this big like jukebox looking thing that you put a CD in and you know, close and you played and would play beautiful all over the speakers and the whole, and the whole funeral home and the chapel. But people really liked on Eagle's wings. It's a great song. I think it's a hymn, but Dick and I, as we, they'd play in the service, you know, we'd be in our own little office away from the chapel, you know, with a pat pastors taking over, you know, they're doing their own little, their own huge ceremony for their loved ones. And, We'd sit over there and we'd serenade each other <laughs> to that song. You know, we'd joke that, you know, we, we didn't really do this, <laughs> but we'd joke that we were going to turn up the heat just a couple degrees to try to smoke people out <laughs> while always holding as much space and as long as they needed. <laughs> so many good stories with all those folks. But Dick cremated my mom for me. Cause I didn't I didn't do that part of, of the business. Some states you have to be a licensed embalmer and I don't know how the laws are now, but then you know, to hold a funeral director's license, but you didn't in Missouri. 
In fact, I, I never actually got licensed as a funeral director. I failed my test twice, I believe. That's all right. <laughs> I was still funeral director. I met with families. I helped them. I, oftentimes, my boss, Andrew, would tell me that families would tell me things as a, as a woman more than him or a man could ever, right? I was a really good funeral director. But Dick took care of my mom and respected her and her body that failed her because of trauma. I firmly believe she died because of trauma, and we'll unpack that um, on this podcast. I love my mom. And I want to say that before I get into the rest of this. And I'm going to keep going. Because I'm only 30 minutes in, but it feels like so much longer, y'all. I'm going to start this next part by reading from my book, the Pocket Pima Chandra book. This is Lesson 77. <laughs> I have a bookmark that's uh, Dr. Seuss, and they're one of, the who, one of the who's or someone's floating away on this beautiful purple and yellow balloon, a hot air balloon. It says, out of this world. And Pema has this to say today to us. Lesson 77. Um, excuse me. There are no promises. When we, are, when we are training in the art of peace, we are not given any promises that because of our noble intentions, everything will be okay. In fact, there are no promises of fruition at all. Sorry. Instead, we are encouraged to simply look deeply at joy and sorrow, at laughing and crying, at hoping and feeling, at all that lives and dies. We learn that what truly heals is gratitude and tenderness. Because you see, I was abused time and time and time again by my mom and my stepdad, both. Now, my mom was also abused by my stepdad, so she was a victim too. But she allowed it to happen over and over and over and over and over and over again, and she was abusive to me too. So much happened, and again, please, y'all, stop listening if this is triggering. If this makes you in any sort of like fight, flight kind of response, which there's fawn and in in other ones, I'm not gonna even start to preach about that right now. But if this is triggering to you, please stop listening. Your health, your mental health, your well-being is what matters. Okay. Please come along with me if you want to hear it, because I, there's a lot of truth, there's a lot of love, there's a lot of shadow, there's a lot of paradoxical duality, 
in this, but I was abused real bad. In elementary school, uh, we'll start we'll start at the top. Between fourth and fifth grade, there was a lot that happened in fourth and fifth grade. I was really really smart. In fact, I remember in first grade winning a math competition, uh, getting an A plus on a on like hard math <laughs> for a first grader. But through fourth through sixth grade, I remember in particular fourth grade we had. Invention convention, okay? It was cool. You got to make up a thing. You got to invent something. And I was like, I need to invent a bed caddy because I was uh, sick a lot. You know, it was, it manifested, my anxiety manifested as illness in my body, pain in my body. And so I needed a bed caddy and I was like, we got to do this really cool bed caddy. And like, you know, it was, it was, it, we, we made it and you, you had like those big poster boards that were like, you know, that pop out, there are three parts and you do all your research and, you know, took pictures and probably didn't probably have to, I mean, it was either Polaroids that are now hip again, um, yay hipsters, or, you know, (laughs) um, you know, you had to go to the like, Osco, I think that was before it was even CVS, and like get it printed off, you know. And, and I worked really hard, and you know, I, I don't remember what place I got because you know that doesn't matter. But it was I was so proud of that. And I remember in sixth grade, I was a scientist at that point, and uh, we did science fair. I can't quite remember at this moment what I did, but I worked so hard on it. And throughout that time, I was also as punishment, locked in our basement in the dark. I was also uh, told by my stepdad that I was stupid and I wouldn't not amount to anything, that the reason my mom was so sad was because of me. I was hit a lot. I was beat. In fact, one time I remember it was cold. Again, this was in this the same house, so it it was it was fifth or sixth grade actually that I'm thinking of. And I was being quote unquote difficult. Uh, And I was beat, and then um, my stepdad grabbed my long hair and dragged me from the bedroom into the living room and forced me to put on the stocking cap. And then I had to to go to school after that all day. I still got really good grades. My physical needs were not met. Um, In fact, my mom used to do a thing that she called the bill shuffle where she'd send the electric bill to the water company. This is when you wrote checks <laughs> and had to mail them actually in the mail. And then she'd send, you know, the water bill to the electric company and the electric company to the water bill. And then they'd call and say, hey, there's something wrong. Oh, yeah, but it buy us some more time to get some more money. I remember standing in lines. Thank God for government aid, for, for WIC, for whatever it's called, EBT now. But I'd stand, we'd stand in the long line to get those big blocks of government cheese. That's the thing I remember the most. 
rice aroni hamburger helper too. <laughs> but some nights I wouldn't eat. In fact, in junior high, right after I'd started to find a church home, now there were those the sexual grooming stuff and the really difficult things. But like I said, at the top of this episode, there was a lot of love too. Tons of love, tons of love from not only kids and friends in the group, but like parents who took me under their wing, my mama Kim and her family and Miss Kathleen and my music minister and brother Bob, Beth, I can keep going, I'll stop there. Because my mom made the choice, my our, my stepdad had left her, moved to Alaska, actually, to get away from um, owing drug dealers money because he was a drug dealer. Uh, he sold weed, um, and I believe he also sold meth, and he did meth. Uh, he had no teeth in his head. Like, he had meth mouth, for anybody who knows meth mouth. If you don't, don't look it up. It's not pretty. Drank Mountain Dew like it was going out of style. Still can't even drink Mountain Dew or think about it. My stomach turns. So he had left us, and um, I had just found this refuge, this family and church. And my mom decided to um, move back in with him and move us to not Alaska, but to Minnesota, where his family lived. And we didn't, we couldn't afford it, y'all. And so we got rid of all of our possessions. I think a U-Haul maybe or a few things came, but we didn't have a home to go to. We were houseless. I don't use the word homeless. That's not nice. I can talk about that more, but use the word houseless or experiencing homelessness. Because home is where your heart is. So we moved to Minnesota one summer, um, early in the summer, and uh, I was, it was the summer of the eighth grade to ninth grade year, really a pinnacle time um, in a young woman's life, especially a young girl's life. I'd started my period and really, really bad periods, like heavy flow, like really bad, painful. I've never been diagnosed with endometriosis. I don't believe I have it now, but it manifested similarly to that. Of course, we could I couldn't get on birth control at that time, that which helps. Um, and I did get on birth control. I was on birth control for 20 plus years. I actually just got off of it. Best decision for me in this moment in my life. But um, we drove to Minnesota that summer, and we didn't have a home to go to, a house to go to. So we lived in a motel that was um, awful. In fact, I really don't have a ton of memories um, from there, and I'm really grateful I've blocked those out. And then with the aid of EMDR, um, shout out to my therapist, Melissa, Donaghy here in Kansas City. 
I don't have to remember those and those haven't come back and my brain has reprocessed those traumatic events and I don't the mem- it's it's I I complete it basically EMDR is where you complete your trauma response and that's where I'll stop there because we'll talk a lot about this I'll have people on my podcast in season two to um, to hold space and educate on that because I EMDR is for everybody not just people with complex PTSD anybody who has a traumatic event that won't leave you the fuck alone uh, you can do EMDR surrounding that and I truly believe. It is powerful healing because it healed me. So we lived in this motel with all of the stuff that we took, that we had, that my stepdad had. Uh, I remember there was, we had a lab. Her name was, was Lady. And she was so great. <laughs> what a good dog. She was there. But we get there, and it's the middle of summer. And it's Minnesota, but it still gets hot. Um, And we arrive there, and I barely am holding on. Like, disassociation isn't even... I... 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 I, yeah, I have no, you know, I barely have memories there, but what I do remember is laying in the bed while they were in the other bed and they for sure had sex in front of me and fucked up shit. And I, that's where I'll stop there. But I, um, was laid in bed and covered my entire body and my entire head with all the blankets that I could find and I would not move. And I would get in trouble because I wouldn't move. But where was I supposed to go? There was nowhere to play. There was the the neighborhood we were in was filled with people in the realm of hungry ghosts and addiction themselves, down and outers, like scary people to a kid. I'm going to stop this um, and I'll be right back. So, yeah, I mean, to say the least, I was distraught and depressed and anxious and scared and we didn't have food. (laughs) We went, in fact, I would get in trouble from my stepdad when my mom would take me to the gas station and get beef jerky. I actually used to steal beef jerky (laughs) from the gas station because we couldn't afford it as a kid. Um, But in this case, in Minnesota, uh, yeah, I would get in trouble. Me, LJ, not, I would get yelled at. For for what? Because it was too expensive? A a pack of what? $6? It was 2000. It wasn't even 2000s. It was 96. And we'd go through, every so often, we'd go through Peggy's, maybe? I can't remember the name of it. But uh, we'd get onion rings and a chocolate shake. And I remember listening to um, a mixtape that I'd made of contemporary Christian artists. And I had one song, and it's eluding me now. It was by the Newsboys, where I would just play it over and 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 over again, which is a common thing to do, compulsive behavior. 
you know, people with trauma, you know, P- complex PTSD manifests a lot of times as OCD, as, as autism, as ADHD, as depression, as anxiety, as XYZ. But I had a lot of compulsions. I used to compulsively masturbate as a kid because of sexual abuse and just to like get relief, right? So yeah, we didn't have food. Uh, We'd go to soup kitchens and again, oftentimes I'd go to bed starving. Just if you've never gone to bed hungry, thank the Lord. I mean it. And thank your, your parents who provided for you who are able to. This is an awful feeling to go to bed with an empty stomach and, and sit there and not be able to get comfortable. I used to have to, through some of this abuse, I'm remembering it, 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 an instance in uh, Kansas City when we lived out in Independence and uh, we had our electricity turned off, which is not really a thing anymore. And thank you, Evergy, for that um, in Kansas City. But uh, yeah, and it was so hot. We, we, I guess we had money for a hotel or maybe we tried to get away from my stepdad. Can't quite remember the details, but I remember being terrified that night and laying there and having to, my mom was, have fallen asleep, but having to literally watch her inhale and her exhale. And again, and again and again until I could regulate myself to sleep. I used to sleep on the floor a lot of times um, outside of like my when I'd go over to visit my dad and stepmom. I'd sleep out on the floor outside. Sometimes they'd let me sleep on the floor in their bedroom. Um, but because I was so scared to sleep alone and scared of the dark, we didn't. When we lived, when we finally got an apartment in Minnesota, shout out to my best friend there, Louie, Mary Lou. Um, just she was a highlight, and her family was a highlight of, of my life there. Can't wait to visit her again. Hoping to get up there in October of this year. Um, but yeah, like I, we didn't have money for pads and. I also have a tilted uterus, uh, which makes tampons and things like that difficult to position. And so a lot of times you'll leak blood and you'll whatever. Um, and I did that a ton. Plus, I, again, was like having massive periods, like 10, 14 days of heavy periods. Still going to school and making good grades. In fact, I was in, in an advanced history class in Minnesota. But I remember a time in particular when we got into our apartment, I had to sleep on the floor there because I didn't have a bed. We had shelter at that point that wasn't a motel, but I didn't have, we didn't have anything. And um, I went with my stepdad's family and they were nice. Um, and they did some kind of a volunteer thing, outdoor like festival, kind of like Santa Caligon days in Independence, something like that. And I had one pad for an entire weekend, and it was like a thin pad. And um, I was too afraid to ask, like, my my aunt 
step aunt um, for help because I was ashamed. And so I just like tried not to lay or sit down or like bleed through like a sweatshirt I had tied around my waist. And it was summer. So I'm sure that, you know, it was. I give a shout out to uh, June Cup. They're my favorite brand for um, Diva, like a Diva Cup or June Cup. June Cup is my favorite because they have inclusive ads. I actually just ordered a new June Cup um, because they it it will you know like suction to like your body and um, and so I don't because of my tilted uterus I can wear it without a pad or a panty liner or whatever. And actually, it's just been really difficult to have a period again. I haven't had a period in, since really the before the pandemic. Um, but I st- t- went off my birth control, so I'm bleeding again. And, and it's great. <laughs> I feel so much more like myself. Now, again, I'm so grateful I was on birth control for as long as I was. But, yeah, I mean, this was my life. You know, my I, my stepdad called me a bitch. He, I was held down as a child and forced like castor oil or like maybe like peroxide into my ears because I had chronic ear infections. And again, we didn't have health insurance. I used to have chronic nosebleeds from stress, I believe. Sinus shit, like again, couldn't go to the doctor. But they, I remember at a time in particular, I was really young. We were in my first home. And, you know, my family was, whatever. They they held me down and they forced medicine down my throat. And I, I it was a di- it was not my ears at this point, but it was because of probably ear, nose, and throat infection. And I was really sick, really, really, really sick, whatever it was. And I, ref- <laughs> LJ stubborn, right? I refused it. And so I ended up having to go to the ER and they had to give me the medicine, but that happened a lot. And I have, I, in fact, I have cotton in my ears right now because of chronic, just ear pain. I was bullied incessantly. Um, I had, I have stretch marks, but as a kid, you know, when you get stretch marks at first, they're bright red. I had all over my, my breasts the backs of my arms, the backs of my legs, my, my lower back, my thighs, you know, a common thing that happens, right? Your body just grows. I just grew fast. You know, I was premature. I've, I've, you know, sometimes I, I feel like I don't have any science to back this, but like, I just grew really fast because of hormones and, in anyway, but yeah, kids are, kids are assholes. <laughs> You know, I went to a party once in high school where there was drinking. It's the only time that I drank um, before I was 21, actually. And I, but I got really drunk and uh, blacked out. And the kids at the party had me take my bra off and show my boobs. Uh, this is what I pieced together now through EMDR. And yeah, I was made fun of. And I passed out. And then I came home and my dad was drunk and hung over, always hung over. And my stepmom was at work. I had just come back from Minnesota, actually. And uh, so I couldn't talk to my mama. 
she was in an abusive relationship and out of my life. And I was too ashamed to talk to anybody at church about it because I, because of the dogma of church and the dogma of what the Baptist church used to be. And, um, anyway, uh, so yeah, I was bullied incessantly on top of all of that other stuff, which brings me to, uh, this is a heavy one, y'all, and I'm just going to keep going, um, which brings me to some abuse that I suffered before I moved to this new place that I'm in now, this beautiful home that I'm in now. Because of my credit card debt that, again, is getting taken care of through a bankruptcy with Castle Law, Jason Amarine. If you're in Kansas City, reach out to them if you need help. Also, if you need help for like uh, like slips and falls and bodily injury, um, they take care of that as well. They really help the people. But I needed to live more cheap and so I found these apartments that I thought would work and I was going to stay there for a year and then get a better place. But because of uh, X, Y, Z, um, I wasn't able to move out. So I extended my lease another year and then um, ended up breaking my lease. And in fact, the landlord, who knows, he might he might have sued me uh, or try to come after me for back rent because I just left. Though I told them I was leaving and tried to clean my apartment in the middle of disassociation. <laughs> and I would say, I will say that the the property management, which I'm not going to say today, but who took care of those apartments were stellar. Their maintenance was stellar. The care that I got from them and tried to help me was stellar. But the landlord was shit. The apartments, and I'm not going to say again where they are, but they're at 38th and Washington. I'm not going to give the address I mean. Um, and the people who lived in there were great to start with. There were a lot of students in there, and there were a few amazing folks that remained. Pete and Zach, reach up, ho- holler out to them, my buddies. And the neighbors in the neighborhood also were really great. Like, I talked to them all the time. Pet sit for a couple of them through my my company Pet Pals that I work I used to work for. But the apartments changed when they couldn't get students to rent in there. And again, I hold space for the realm of hungry ghosts and the pain of addiction. But I also should say this rent wasn't that cheap. I was a month behind in my rent for the last, I don't know few months I lived there. So I paid $800 a month plus utilities and food and XYZ, right? So it really ain't cheap. (laughs) Raise my rent. That's a good movie, Blazing Saddles. (laughs) Y'all look that one up. There were so many safety concerns at this apartment. The doors wouldn't lock. The outdoors would not lock. Um, there was theft of mail. There were no locks on our mailboxes. Then we'd have to be like, okay, we'll go down the street. And, you know, there's a great mailboxes, et cetera. Shout out to them in Westport that you can get your mail delivered. Okay. (laughs) You know, there, the electricity in my apartment was faulty. There were hot 
outlets that I couldn't use. I reported all of this stuff to you, by the way. Because of the doors that didn't lock and, you know, the theft of all of our mail and stuff, but the doors that wouldn't lock, we had squatters who got in. Again, I hold space for the beautiful souls of addiction. But they got in and there was a laundry room that was, I don't know, maybe, it doesn't matter, like 20 feet away from where I slept. And there were squatters in there using dope, shooting up heroin. I'm certain of it. Um, I never experienced it because I was terrified. I didn't even use that laundry room because I was so scared of it. I finally went in there right before I said, fuck this and left and got into this amazing place that felt like home as soon as I walked in. But yeah, they were using heroin and pissing on the laundry floor. You walk in and you smell pee, urine, piss. That's not okay. Again, they couldn't get students in there this time. And so the apartments right next door to me sat empty for a really long time. And then a man moved in who was obviously has mental health concerns. Um, I would see his sister come and help a lot, uh, but she didn't stay there. And he lived there and it was really scary, guys, like. I read energy and, 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 and he wasn't safe. Um, in fact, I barricaded my door that was just like a closet door um, because I was so scared he might come in and rape me. <laughs> I've never been raped. I've been molested as a child. But I was terrified of it because I, he would never leave his apartment. Um, and then at night, like in the middle of the night, I would hear him howl like an animal, because he was in so much mental pain. Sure, he did dope, too. Um, I would, too, if I felt like that, maybe. Where I had to howl at night. There was mold that grew um, on the walls. Um, my bed frame was really unsteady, and so I took it off, and I didn't have a, I had a mattress pad, but I didn't think to put something down, and because my allergies were so bad at that apartment because of the mold um, already growing in there, I got a humidifier and then that created more mold and mold in my mattress. And at this point in my life, I had autoimmune symptoms that mimicked MS. I, I'm completely free and healed of those. I hold space. and thank God for that. I thank myself for the work I've done on my physical body. Um, since moving to this apartment, I've lost so much weight. I feel really strong and beautiful. I know I am both of those things. I don't just feel them. But yeah, so I had to move my bed myself and get it set up. And then I had to pick it up and clear it. I was going to ask for friends help, but you know, I, I struggle asking for help. Sometimes I really struggle waiting for help. I sometimes I'll ask, but then I'll just do it myself because I'm stubborn. But there was mold growing on my mattress. You know, there was unsafe radiators. I didn't run my heat at all this winter unless it got, you know, when it got negative 12 degrees, it's hold space for climate change. That's real. Um, but the radiator, I couldn't run it. It made my allergies too bad. I could have asked to have them clean, but those kinds of radiators, I mean, 
they really needed new heating in there. I want to just direct anybody who has similar situations in Kansas City to the Casey Tenants. It's Casey Tenants, T-E-N-A-N-T-S dot org. They will help you advocate. They make change all the time. I follow them and in order to remain in my window of tolerance, because I have a lot more to say tonight. Reach out to them, and I hope that they helped when I left. And that is where I came to this apartment, this home that I'm in now in Longfellow. Before I even disassociated completely. <laughs> and I had abuse at that apart, the old apartment too. And I, I, more abuse. I'm not going to get into that to stay in my window of tolerance. Terrifying situation. But I moved here and I still kept my job and tried to, and I had to do my taxes. <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck, it's tax day, too. And this this was a moment where I was like, I really, yeah, bankruptcy is it. And like, but I was able to do my taxes enough. I kept, I worked at 1099 with Pet Pals and, you know, my, my corporate job. And, you know, so I was able, I kept good records. I was able to get in, do my taxes on the last day was the 18th this year because it was fell on a Saturday or whatever, the 15th and whatever. But I sat at that desk in this new place, trying to keep my shit together, trying to keep my corporate job, trying to like keep it together. And I did my taxes, y'all. I filed for an extension. I needed more time because I hadn't done my bankruptcy yet. But I sat there and was able to do it, was able to figure out enough of like the tax write-off shit, you know, estimated enough. Because you have to figure all that out to file for an extension, by the way, um, which is fine. But I was able to do it. And you know what? <laughs> you know what really did it for me for that corporate job was even though I got a 3% raise this year, this last year, <laughs> I laughed because 3%, right, in, the, in today's inflation economy. But I made... $10,000 less than I did the year previous, even with that raise, because I didn't get bonus money this year, like I had in the past. Even working 15000 extra dollars at, with pet pals, I, I couldn't make ends meet. But I sat there and I did my taxes and I got them filed. I mailed them. In fact, Actually, I e-filed the, my, my uh, federal, but I mailed my state. You know what I decided to do? I took a rainbow card and I wrote a nice note to whoever got my taxes at the state office. I really did, y'all. Because that was the only way I could stay in my window of tolerance that day. I, I maybe had done one session of EMDR at that point, but I hadn't done more, which I did do more disassociated and now I'm healed I in, in recovery still with therapy and spiritual leaders and my chosen family and my family I've been beat up y'all <clears throat> let me take a drink of water
So this is this is more. So here we go. So I sat down. So one thing <laughs> I've really been reconnecting with since um, becoming an, an entrepreneur and starting this podcast um, is uh, going slower and reading actual books. And I picked up the newspaper the other day. I actually think I swiped it from a neighbor's porch. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and I, there are some sad things in this newspaper. It was from the 22nd of May. And um, today is not that. It's We're into June now. I think it's the 6th or 7th. <clears throat> and so I read some things. I'm going to share the, the sad things a bit, um, the impossible things. But I turned to try to find the obituaries. And I've heard that like you don't have to you used to have to put an obituary into the newspaper for like legal reasons and I don't think you have to do that anymore because I could only find one obituary in this page, paper and it's from the Johnson County Funeral Chapel um if y'all need help over in Johnson County I bet they're a good one <laughs> and there's a picture of this woman who died and her name's Frances N. Rayner and her maiden name was Mikowski. And she was born October 31st, 1933, and she died May 17th, 2003. And I always loved to read the obituaries when I used to read the paper, um, probably because I worked at the funeral home. But it also just makes you um, just appreciate life more, at least for me it does. And this this woman, Frances, has a really good story, and I want to read it to you. I'm going to read a few more things to you, and then I'm going to sign off. Read a few more things, say a few more things, and then sign off. Overland Park, Kansas. Frances N. Rayner uh, Mikowski, 89, died peacefully at home with her favorite child by her side. In the early morning hours of Wednesday, May 17th, 2023. And you should see this picture of her. She is ecstatic, y'all. Like, the kindest smile. She got her hair did, you know, just like she wanted. She got her earrings in. And she's happy. It looks like she's got a secret. <laughs> and she just wants to tell you. So she died uh, with her favorite child by her side. She was born in Kansas City, Kansas on October 31st, 1933 to Blaze P. and Helen M. Mikowski. Visitation will be held Thursday, May 25th from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m. at Cure of Ours Catholic Church, 9401 Mission Road. Rosemary will be recited at 10.30 a.m. with the funeral mass immediately following. Mom graduated from Ward High School in 1951. My mama, Vicki, was born in 1952, January 15th, by the way. But this woman, Frances, was born in 1951 and then graduated from St. Margaret's Nursing School. Her nursing school buddies and nursing co-workers remained lifelong friends. She married William J. Rayner on June 1st, 1957, and their marriage lasted 60 years until Bill's death in 2017. From their union, four children were born, Billy, Mary, Kelly, and Tim. Fran was involved in several bridge groups and enjoyed the friendships she made along the way. I have to stop here. My family, we didn't play bridge, but... We liked bingo, and we went to the bingo hall at the Eagles, Eagles Club. <laughs> Shout out to them. 
Fran also adored her swim ladies at the J. <laughs> she continued her water aerobics until 2022. Her J girls remained uh, committed to her until the very end. Mom was very proud of her Polish heritage and spent countless hours cooking and baking all of her Polish favorites. She was also a very devout Catholic who attended Mass on a daily basis until health prevented her from doing so. Her greatest joy in life was spending time with her large family and friends. She loved telling people how many grandkids and great-grandkids she had. <laughs> Fran was preceded in death by her parents, her husband Bill, her sister Rosemary Super, Rosebud, her grandson Nicholas Rayner, and her two sons-in-law, Joseph S. Giesel IV and Dr. Dennis J. Cohen. Fran is survived by her children, Billy Rayner, Judith, Mark Cohen, partner Phil Hodes, Kelly Fornelli, Mike, and Tim Rayner, Cooper. If you don't know obits, if a partner is in parentheses, that means they're their partner. So it'll say, you know, the family member plus their partner. She is also survived by grandkids, Luke Rayner, Amber, Joey Gassell, Gretchen, Jessica Heaney, Sam, Andrew Rayner, Natalie, Meg Cohen, Samantha Cohen Hendricks, Will, Max Rayner, she had a huge family, Riley Rayner, Abby Rayner, and Zachary Fernelli. She is also survived by great grandkids Noah, Finn, and Whit Rayner, Felix, Ari, Laz, and Silas Rayner, Bo, Joby, Fran, and Jeter Heaney, and Sev, William and Greer, Giselle, and George Hendricks. Our hearts are broken, but we rejoice that she has been reunited with our dad and her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heaven gained a very special angels. In lieu of flowers, the family requests donations to Good Shepherd Hospice, 1317 South Fountain Drive, Olathe, Kansas, 66061, or Cure of Ours Catholic Church. The family would also like to thank the following. Mary Cummings, Harriet, Astor, Desada, Saba, Layu, Lily, and Delina. We are forever grateful for the love, care, and support you gave mom and our family over the last several months. I'm certain those are hospice workers. <laughs> I also helped with the marketing at, at Heartland. and I would go visit hospice workers and take them gift baskets and make pretty things for them and, and love on them. And, and the VA hospital, I would always go, what was her name? Was it no. I just love obituaries. <laughs> Rest in peace, Francis and Rainer. I'm glad with, you're with Bill and, and Jesus. 
Before I get on to the next bit, I'm also going to read a couple of poems from this book that I just got called Sparking Her Own Flame by Pierre Alex Gennetti. This is on page 12 and 13. Again, I'm just going to read both of them. There is no condemnation for leaving love a story that no longer has love in it. There is no shame in bearing the thought of a man whose love language could never be learned. On the other page, your vacation from his guilt trips doesn't have to be momentary. Make it permanent. Refuse to let his blame visit your ears, grow settled in your mind, and become prey to his reverse psychology. Prey, P-R-E-Y. It's a beautiful book. Oh, it's so beautiful. I'm going to also read one more poem to you before I tell you what else was in this paper that I read from May 22nd in Kansas City. I'm going to read a poem called Allowables by Nikki Giovanni. I killed a spider, not a murderous brown recluse, nor even a black widow. And if the truth were told, this was only a small sort of papery spider who should have run when I picked up the book, but she didn't, and she scared me, and I smashed her. I don't think I'm allowed to kill something because I am frightened. You see, on the front cover of this newspaper, there was a story about a mass shooting at a club called Climax, spelled K-L-Y-M-A-X. By the way, they have amazing reviews. It looks amazing, like a great club to go to. In fact, it's just behind one of my favorite barbecue restaurants in Kansas City called LC's Barbecue. Go eat it there. They got a big meat cabinet. <laughs> you just open it up and it's all the smoked meat. You walk in and you're engulfed with the beauty of, of barbecue smell. So Climax, there was a mass shooting. And I think there's some discussion about the definition of what a mass shooting is. But in this article in the Kansas City Star, they quote um, an organization called Gun Violence Archive, and they say that an incident where at least four people are injured or killed, um, besides the shooter, can be considered a mass shooting. And I'm not going to go back and read that article. I did read it. Um, I believe there were um, maybe more than four people died, maybe five um, including the security guard who, who let's hold space for that, who gave his life much like the good police officers or good firemen of the world 
and if Kansas City, who are trying to to do better and do well, um, but the security guard was killed doing his job. In fact, in the article, I read that uh, one of the victims tried to run outside and was shot. Um, I believe they said that there were at least, one witness said there were at least 10 shots, and then there was a pause, and then there were five more. I'm not sure what kind of gun there was, but there is no need for any sort of assault rifle weapon at all in our world. I stand firm in that as truth. Not only my truth, but God's truth. And the witness who saw this happen, not in the club, said that she saw a body, a woman's body outside the club, um, where the, the the remaining people in the club who were alive, who are victims too and have PTSD now, uh, had to step over her um, to get out of the club to safety. And the shooter, uh, according to May 22nd, or I'm sorry, was it May 22nd? Yes, May 22nd um, still hasn't been caught. He, he got away. He's, he's living. While these other people aren't. And for what reason did he go in and slaughter these folks in a mass shooting? That I don't know. Hate. Hate for sure. The name of the club is Climax. Um, so I'm assuming that he hated some people in there. But really who he hates is himself. So I hold space for that because that's not right. I pray for them because I don't know what else to do other than vocalize right now and ask for change. Ask for you if you're triggered by clubs like Climax. Ask yourself, why am I mad at dancers and sex workers and maybe LGBTQ? I call them the rainbow mafia sometimes. Trans folks. Why? 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 Just why? Also in this paper, <laughs> there were comics and I read a whole bunch of them and they made me really happy. And there was a TV guide in there, uh, which included a few things. WWE, <laughs> which I've talked about in previous episodes, The Office. In fact, let me just grab a couple of them to say the TV show Bones. I used to really love Bones. <laughs> uh, the Royals were in there. Not only the Royals, but the Chiefs. And um, Sporting KC and even Atlanta Braves were mentioned in a couple articles. I was like, man, this paper was written for me today. Um, yeah, and NCIS that was in the, the uh, TV guide. Um, Britney Spears is there. Uh, my cousin Vinny. <laughs> He's just not that into you, which Ben Affleck is in. Do you guys remember that? Was that a Jimmy Fallon or something? Where Sarah Silverman comes on and she goes, yeah, I'm fucking Ben Affleck. It's like a whole song. <laughs> Y'all should Google that. That's funny as shit. Uh, she broke up with Ben Affleck. You know, sometimes <laughs> sometimes we move on. <laughs> uh, what else was in this TV guide? Ridiculousness. Have you guys ever seen that show? It's funny as fuck. Um, Snapped, which is a good uh, crime <laughs> story, which I hear is a good one where women get mad and kill people. Uh, I think 
this one's the notorious the Cleveland Strangler. I think I might have to fuck around and watch that one day. Meet the Parents is on there. Ben Stiller, Robert De Niro. Shout out to those dudes. Followed by Meet the Fockers. Both, you know, listen, sometimes I don't like a sequel, but I sure liked that sequel. What else? The Big Bang Theory. I mean, it just is like all of there. The whole universe was in a hot, dense state the nearly 14 billion years ago. Expansion started. Wait. The Earth began to cool. Neanderthals developed tools. We built the pyramids. Vast science history. Unraveling the mystery that all started with the Big Bang. Bang! <laughs> now, there are new words to that. Uh, I've read them online, but I don't remember those yet. Um, King of the Hills on there, maybe, baby. <laughs> Bob's Burgers. WWE. Antiques Roadshow. Do you guys ever watch that? That shit's legit. <laughs> Find treasures just sometimes in your basement lying around. And within this paper, there were science pages. I love scientists. One of the two of the articles, I haven't read them completely. Um, but one of them was why birds and their songs are good for our mental health. And the other one was huge, great white shark, ironbound pinged off of Georgia coast. I'm going to go back and read those later. Because um, this mass shooting reminded me of another mass shooting um, that happened on June 13th, 2016. And it was in a, a gay nightclub uh, called Pulse. Uh, at the time, on June 13th, 2016, I was living in Atlanta. It was before I moved in with the plumbers and <laughs> the beautiful gay man. Um I lived in a small apartment that I couldn't afford uh, when I went through my divorce. I didn't ask for alimony. Um, I should have. Uh, I just, I took that he would uh, let me have the proceeds from our house that we thought were going to be. Well, I did. I thought this. I don't think he did. I uh, thought that it was going to be around 10K and I ended up making $1,000. Um, and that's why I had to keep working three, four jobs sometimes, much like immigrants do hold space for them because what's that old adage on the liberty statue of liberty bring me your tired your huddled your masses of down and outers come here america can help you does it when you have to work even me who's a citizen born here don't have to find a green card marry someone with a green card you know or whatever, <laughs> a citizen marries someone to get your green card. But yeah, I was living in, I made $1,000. And so I was living in this apartment that I thought, okay, well, this is going to help pay off my debt that I'm, and it didn't work out, y'all. So I was living in this apartment in Atlanta that I couldn't afford with only one job. And um, yeah, I actually have best friends. I haven't talked to them in a long time in Orlando. Uh, who lived just down the street from Pulse, where this ha shooting happened. Um, I used to live in Jacksonville, but I worked for a company called OTS, Orlando Team Sports. Shout out. I doubt they still are in sales. <laughs> Maybe they are. Uh, but uh, my friends in Orlando, uh, most of them who worked at OTS were gay. Uh, definitely fluid, um, if not... <laughs> And so this one really hit hard, too, um, for me. Uh, 
felt like it was in my backyard again. And there's a little musical called Hamilton. I'm not sure if you guys know it. Lin-Manuel Miranda and those folks. Um, and the day of the shooting happened early and um, like kind of like now where we spill over into a second day. And um, it was the day of the Tony Awards, y'all. Uh, and um, Hamilton was up for a whole bunch of them. And I think it was like the writing or the score of it. And Lynn gets up to say some shit. Um, and we are all waiting, you know, if you're, if you're a musical fan and know the, the gravity, the importance of Hamilton, maybe Lynn will come on my podcast soon in season two or season three. (laughs) And, uh, he walks up to stage to accept this award, right? And I think that there were talk or discussion and probably some news articles that are like they should have canceled the Tonys or something. But as I've talked about in my previous podcasts, art creates reality. And in times of moments of grief, I mean, what do we look for? We look for love. We look for light. And um, we hold space for the paradoxical nature of life, duality. And so... Lynn goes to the stage to talk and uh, receive this award. And instead of thanking God or thinking, I mean, he thanks God, you know, but, and instead of spitting a rap, which he's real good at dropping some lyrics, he decides to share a sonnet that he wrote to his wife, Vanessa, who shout out to Vanessa is a beautiful uh, lawyer and beautiful scientist. And she went to MIT. Like she's, she's the bee's knees. And Lynn says this to Vanessa. My wife's the reason anything gets done. She nudges me towards promise by degrees. She is a perfect symphony of the one. Our son is the most beautiful reprise. We chase the melodies that seem to find us until they're finished songs and start to play when senseless acts of tragedy remind us that nothing here is promised, not one day. This show, referring to Hamilton, is proof that history remembers. We live through times when hate and fear seem stronger semicolon we rise and fall in light from dying embers remembrances that hope and love last longer and love is 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 love cannot be killed or swept aside I sing Vanessa's symphony, semicolon. Eliza tells her story. Now, fill the world with music, love, and pride. I'm going to end with a reading. It'll be another big reading. And before I do, I wanted to tell you guys 
about 15 minutes left here, that I found a record player just sitting outside in the curb, and I picked it up. And it doesn't play records yet. I'm going to walk down to St. Anne's. It's just at the top of my street here in, in Longfellow. Get some help to get it in working order for my records. But I did plug it in the other day and tuned it to a radio station. And, and I shit you not, uh, Catholic radio came on. And it really helped me reconnect with my biological dad side of the family, Jim McCann. Shout out to the McCanns and the O'Briens. Told you I'm Irish as fuck. <laughs> and Catholic radio came on. And uh, yeah, so I'm going to actually read again from a book called On Earth as in Heaven by N.T. Wright. Two, two excerpts here. Let's see if we can get through it in 15 minutes. Um, the first part is Faith, History, and Science. What I am suggesting is that faith in Jesus risen from the dead transcends but includes what we call history and what we call science. Faith of this sort is not blind belief that rejects all history and science, nor is it simply, which would be much safer, a belief that inhabits a totally different sphere, discontinuous from either, in the separate watertight compartment. Rather, this kind of faith, which is like all modes of knowledge, defined by the nature of its object, is faith in the creator of God, the God who has promised to put all things to rights at the end, the God who, in parentheses, as the sharp point where those two come together, has raised Jesus from the dead within history, leaving, as I said, evidence that demands an explanation from the scientist, as well as anybody else. Insofar, I understand scientific method. When something turns up that doesn't fit the paradigm you're working within, one option, at least, perhaps when all others has failed, is to change the paradigm. Not to exclude everything you've known to that point, but to include it within a larger whole. That is, if you like, the Thomas Challenge. I had to look up one of these words, so hopefully I say it right and I'll define it. It's uh, I'll just define it now. It's epistemology, <laughs> the theory of knowledge, especially with regard to its methods, validity, and scope. Investigation of what distinguishes justified belief from opinion. If Thomas represents an epistemology of faith, which transcends but also includes historical and scientific knowing, we might suggest that Paul represents, at this point, an epistemology of hope. In 1 Corinthians 15, he sketches his argument that there will be a future resurrection as part of God's new creation, the redemption of the entire cosmos, as in Romans 8. Hope for the Christian is not wishful thinking or mere blind optimism. It is a mode of knowing, a mode within which new things are possible. Options are not shut down and new creation can happen. And then I go over to the page that we're going to end on this. 
and it says, take the risk, exclamation point. That is why, although the historical arguments for Jesus's bodily resurrection are truly strong, we never, we must never suppose that they will do more than bring people to the questions faced by Thomas and Peter, the questions of faith and love. We cannot use a supposedly objective historical etymology as the ultimate ground for the truth of Easter. To do so would be, I'm sorry, to do so would be to be like somebody who lit a candle to see whether the sun had risen. (laughs) What the candles of historical scholarship will do is show that the room has been disturbed, that it doesn't look like it did last night. And that would be a normal explanation for this. Let me start that over. What the candles of historical scholarship will do is show that the room has been disturbed, that it doesn't look like it did last night, And that would be normal explanations for this won't do. Maybe we think after the historical arguments have done their work, morning has come and the world has woken up. But to find out whether this is so, we must take the risk and open the curtains to the rising sun. When we do so, we don't rely on candles anymore. Not because we don't believe in evidence and argument, not because we don't believe in history or science, but because they will have been overtaken by the larger reality from which they borrow, to which they point, and to which they will find a new and larger home. All knowing is a gift from God, historical and scientific knowing no less than that of faith, hope, and love, semicolon, but the greatest of these is love. Good night, y'all.